everybody, and welcome to episode two of Cliff Notes. I am your one host, Seth. And I'm your other host, Allie. Uh, thank you so much if you have listened to our first episode. Uh, we were really excited to do it, and we're very excited to go and keep going with it. Um, so, Allie, uh, what are we talking about today? Today we're going to be talking about Beethoven and his immortal beloved, which is this like mystery surrounding um, a woman that Beethoven was in love with who we don't know who she was. Beethoven is one of the 5 to 10 composers I can name and kind of know who I'm saying <laughs> when I say their name. Well, that's good. I would hope so. So let's start by talking a little bit about Beethoven. Um, Seth, what do you know about Beethoven? Uh, I know that he is German. He is German. Um, I know that he was famously deaf. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the fifth symphony guy yes <laughs> which the fifth symphony is the one that sounds like this that lovely playing brought to you by <laughs> Allie on the keyboard i would like to just say that this is a teensy tiny keyboard with like two octaves of notes and if i had a bigger piano i would be playing more notes <laughs> <laughs> um what else do i know I mean, that's a good amount about Beethoven. Hold on. I might be able to get the period of music, though. Okay. Is it, is it romance? Is it just straight <laughs> classical? Is so, it Baroque? Well, okay. <laughs> Those are all the periods of music it's I It's the romantic period, romantic not the period. romance period. Sorry. Um, well, and actually, you're kind of getting on something interesting there, because Beethoven was technically part of the classical period, but mm. he's known as the bridge to the romantic period. Like, he started the kind of like movement in music to be more emotional and to be more bombastic and crazy with more things so is that like the hallmark of what differentiates romantic music from classical is yeah the... it's more emotion all the emotion gotcha what does that mean um i guess like technically in terms of like the technical makeup of a music piece well classical music followed like strict forms okay. really closely. So like you'd have a sonata or you'd have a symphony and there was a certain order that things were supposed to happen in. And Beethoven already kind of took that to a new level with some of his piano sonatas, um, which are not in typical sonata form. Mm. Um, and then just adding more instruments to the orchestra, more dynamics, longer pieces of work, um, less at least with Beethoven, less melodic lines and more like short little snippets. Like, again, the Fifth Symphony. The entire symphony is based off of that like eight note segment, which isn't like really a melody. It's more of a like motif. What does motif mean? A motif is just a short little blip of music that keeps occurring in different ways. Gotcha. Throughout a piece. That's our music term for the day. Yeah. <laughs> so just a little bit more background on Beethoven. He was born in 1770 and died in 1827. Um, I'm not generally very big on dates as far as music and composers are concerned, but it does help situate him 
in the like greater historical context. So we'll be including dates and stuff just so you kind of have more of an idea of where and when he lived. And I'm a numbers guy, so I like numbers in any form. True. Very true. Um, besides being a composer, he was a virtuoso pianist, which is why his piano music is so difficult and so like lauded as some of the greatest of all time. Is virtuoso pianist, is that like just being considered really good or is there something that like makes you a virtuoso? Oh, no, just really good. Okay. I mean, like if you're a virtuoso, you're just kind of an expert. Okay. I wasn't sure if there was like... Kind of like how principal chair means like the first chair. No. In orchestra. It's just, nothing you're really just, like okay. that. You're just really, really good. Okay. Yeah. Um, he was known for his tumultuous personality, which went along with his rather tumultuous music. Um, and he's kind of considered the greatest composer of all time. And if you could see me, I'm doing air quotes around that because I do need to make a little caveat before we get super into this episode. I am not a Beethoven groupie like most people are. So like Beethoven is fine and everything, but there's like this thing in the classical music world, especially with pianists, where it's like all Beethoven all the time. And I do not feel that way. We actually uh, when trying to decide our second episode. She was not excited to do this one purely because it was yeah, Beethoven. Yeah, <laughs> I was not looking forward to the research on this, um, which like getting into it, it was more interesting than I anticipated, but I just think too big of a deal is made out of Beethoven and that there are composers who are better and more interesting to play. And I mean, honestly, that's probably part of it is like, I never liked playing Beethoven, really. So I probably just have like a vendetta against him because his music was hard for me. I was iffy about playing Beethoven. <laughs> So anyway, just don't come for me because of my opinions on Beethoven. Promise I won't. Okay. I mean, you wouldn't, but the rest of the pianists I know. Um, anyway, okay. So getting into a little bit more about Beethoven and his like general romantic life slash attitudes towards women um, throughout his life, because he had a lot of like little flings or attachments probably more attachments because nothing really like happened. <laughs> he would just say that he was in love with a woman. Um and she may or may not like would have reciprocated his feelings. Oh, okay, so they weren't necessarily like a bunch of relationships and stuff. He no. wasn't he wasn't necessarily a ladies man. No. Um one of his friends said that like Beethoven was never out of love and that he was very frequently in love, but for short periods of time. Okay, so it's more like kind of like the concept. He just likes the concept of love. Yeah, which I mean, probably to a certain extent went with his like impassioned personality slash music. That makes sense. Um, he generally had a disdain for marriage, partially because his parents didn't have a good marriage. Mm. And actually, there's a quote that his mom said um, to a friend of theirs that goes like this. If you want to take my good advice, remain single, and then you will have the most tranquil, most beautiful, most pleasurable life. For what is marriage? A little joy, then a chain of sorrows, and you are still young. Sounds like we need to reevaluate some Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, oof, if that's what you're growing up <laughs> with as a child, I'm sure marriage is like not first on your mind. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, so Beethoven had several like relationships kind of 
um, where he actually got to the point where he wanted to propose. He mm. proposed to one singer and she turned him down because, in quotes, he was so ugly and half crazy. And well, that's then unfortunate. I know it's really sad. <laughs> that's so sad. Um, but then he also proposed to a piano student of his, Therese Malfatti, um, who was the daughter of a nobleman. So, like, she was not in his league. And her parents, like, disapproved and everything. So, was he still, um, like, getting denied even after hitting it big as a composer? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the women that he was associating with were generally his piano students or his patrons who were all highborn and class was a really big issue during that time period like especially if you were a woman you had to marry up otherwise you were like kind of screwed like you were disowned and you wouldn't have an income for the rest of your life okay so even if you're one of the greatest composers of your era you're still a musician yeah and i mean like one thing that we do like kind of have to be a little um like we have to couch this with is that Beethoven had a reputation for like his music was a little like uncouth and um like inappropriate. Like I mean there were parents who were like, oh, you're listening to Beethoven. Um and like didn't want their kids to be influenced by his crazy new music. Okay. So let's get into talking specifically about his immortal beloved. So what, like where this stems from and what it is, is Beethoven wrote a letter between July 6th and July 7th of 1812 addressed to his immortal beloved. Hmm. Um, there was initially a lot of question about the date, but finally, like in the 1950s, they found a watermark on one of the pages that definitively says that like this is when it was written. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. That's funny. So... It was written while he was on a medical retreat because this is kind of like the, I don't know, I would say like the midpoint of him going deaf. Okay. Like he's not completely deaf and he never was completely deaf. He could still hear some sounds, but this is kind of when he's still trying new things and like trying to make it better. So he's on this medical retreat in Teplitz, which is in what is now the Czech Republic. Okay. So this letter is a little unusual in that it was found in his belongings and not found like in someone else's belongings that he sent the letter to. Right. So it was more was it more like a I guess like a journal entry then? Possibly. We're not really sure. So some people think that he this is like a draft of a letter that he did actually end up sending okay. and he just kept the draft. But some people think that he wrote the letter and then decided not to send it. Gotcha. So it was found in his belongings by his assistant, Anton Schindler, which I'm telling you his name because we'll talk a little bit more about him later. Um, it's 10 pages long, which... It's quite the letter. Well, yeah, it's really not that long. He just wrote really big and messy. Oh. <laughs> but it's written in three sections um, in like three distinct spurts over this day and a half. And you can definitely tell that the tone that like the tone progresses from kind of optimistic about this relationship with his immortal beloved to being very pessimistic towards the end mm. um and actually i guess now would be a good time to read some of that letter yeah let's do it so this is the first little spurt that he wrote and he wrote it on the morning of july 6th <clears throat> i will do my best beethoven impression <laughs> 
Funnily enough, it sounds exactly like me. Six July, morning. My angel, my all, my own self. Only a few words today, and that too with pencil, with yours. Only till tomorrow is my lodging definitely fixed. What abominable waste of time in such things. Why this dip, deep grief where necessity speaks? Can our love persist otherwise than through sacrifices, than by not demanding everything? Canst thou change it, that thou are not entirely mine, I not entirely thine? Oh, God. Look into beautiful nature and compose your mind to the inevitable. Love demands everything and is quite right, so it is for me with you, for you with me. Only you forget so easily that I must live for you and for me. Were we quite united, you would notice this painful feeling as little as I should. We shall probably soon meet. Even today I cannot communicate my remarks to you, which during these days I made about my life. Were our hearts close together, I should probably not make any such remarks. My bosom is full to tell you much. There are moments when I find that such speech is nothing at all. Brighten up, remain my true and only treasure, my all, as I to you. The rest the gods must send, what must be for us and shall. Your faithful, Ludwig. <laughs> so this first part of the letter, like you can tell it's very optimistic. Like he's saying, if we get together, like there will be no more pain. Everything will be awesome. Yeah. It's, it felt like it got more formal, kind of, as it went on. Like, at the beginning, I guess, um, that first paragraph that ended, like, where necessity speaks, I was thinking, like, wow, this doesn't... I was, like, expecting, I guess, like, old English-y kind of stuff, and there wasn't really any of those words, but then as soon as we get into the second one, there's a whole thou and thine. And yeah, and I mean, this is a translation, too, and something that you can't tell in here, but he's using the German version of you, um, do, that is less formal than the other version of you oh okay um and this is the only letter that he uses that version of you in so like that's kind of makes it very like informal and passionate even though right. the language since it is older doesn't seem quite as like impassioned i guess as we might think yeah so um on to the next section of the letter this was written Monday evening of the same day. Cool. You suffer, you, my dearest creature. That started dark. Uh, <laughs> just now, I perceive that letters must be posted first thing early. Mondays, Thursdays, the only days when the post goes from here to K. You suffer. Oh, where I am, you are with me with me and you. I shall arrange that I may live with you. What a life. So, without you, pursued by the kindness of the people here and there, whom I mean to desire to earn just as little as they earn, humility of man towards men, it pains me. And when I regard myself in connection with the universe, what I am and what he is, whom one calls the greatest, and yet there lies herein um, again the godlike of man. I weep when I think you will probably only receive on Saturday the first news from me. As you too love, yet I love you stronger, but never hide yourself from me. Good night, as I am taking the waters, I must go to bed. Oh God, so near, so far, 
Is it not a real building of heaven, our love, but as firm too as a citadel of heaven? So in this one, it's Monday evening and he's like, I just saw you. And like, I'm feeling all of these feelings, but because the post doesn't go out until Thursday morning, you're not going to hear from me until Saturday, which is like a week later than I just saw you. Right. Is K like a place? Yes, it is. K is, oh, where is that in my notes? I can't find it. But it's another place, like, fairly close in the Czech Republic that he was going to after being in this town. Okay. So, yes, it is a place. Okay. And now let's get kind of dark. So, (laughs) this is, he entitles, Good Morning on 7 July. Even in bed, my ideas yearn towards you, my immortal beloved. Here and there joyfully, then again sadly awaiting from fate whether it will listen to us. I can only live, either along with you or not at all. Yes, I have determined to wander about for so long, far away, until I can fly into your arms and call myself quite at home with you, can send my soul enveloped by yours into the realm of spirits. Yes, I regret it must be. You will get over it all the more as you know my faithfulness to you. Never another one can own my heart. Never. Never. Oh God, why must one go away from what one loves so? And yet my life in W, as it is now, is a miserable life. Your love made me the happiest and unhappiest at the same time. At my actual age, I should need some continuity, sameness of life. Can that exist under our circumstances? Angel, I just hear that the post goes out every day. (laughs) I must close, therefore, so that you can get the L at once. Be calm. Love me. Today. Yesterday. What longing and tears for you. You. My life. My all. Farewell. Oh. Go on loving me, never doubt the faithfulest heart of your beloved, L. Ever thine, ever mine, ever ours. That felt like an angsty teen. <laughs> <laughs> an angsty teen, except he's a 42-year-old man. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it gets a little dark. He obviously has decided at this point that, like, they can't ever be together. Yeah. Which, I mean, is really a swing from the previous morning when he was, like, full of this hope. Yeah. I do like how in the space of the night turning into the day, he was like, oh, never mind. The letters go out every day. <laughs> He's very hung up on when the letters go out. Yeah. For sure. Um, so part of the thought behind this is that he was getting increasingly deaf as this is happening and having to rely on friends for 
like translations and for daily mm. business. Um, he carried around with him these like conversation notebooks mm-hmm. where he would write down things and people would write down things so that like they could converse instead of him having to rely on his hearing. And he didn't want someone to have to be his caretaker. And so you can kind of like read through this letter and think the beginning is like he's so caught up in this newfound love. Newfound, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? We'll get into it. Um and then by <laughs> no the spoilers. Yeah. But and then by the end of it, he's kind of like, Well, this is my reality and I don't want to like put that on someone else. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely became I think like more introspective as he went on to. Yeah. And I mean it's definitely kind of noble in a way. And Beethoven was known for like being a noble, like upstanding man. Self-sacrificing. Yeah. So before we get into the five different people, like the five different women that historians think this could be, I want to briefly just like mention that they made a movie about this in the 90s um, starring Gary Oldman as Beethoven. Is that like the only I've seen a movie with Beethoven as a lead character? Are there multiple or is it maybe this one? No, really? You yeah. have? I don't I forget why. Are you sure it was this movie and not like the Amadeus Mozart movie. Yeah, because I, it's it's somebody going deaf and like getting mad as they go deaf. It may have been this. Are one. you serious? Yeah, You've no, actually 100%. seen this movie? Okay, that's kind of really. Funny. I don't remember anything other than like I've seen a Beethoven movie. <laughs> well, that's hilarious. Um, I kind of was wanting to watch it, but then I looked it up on Rotten Tomatoes, and it only has a fifty six percent. And also, it's like definitely wrong because in the movie they make it out that his immortal beloved is the mom of his nephew. And so, like, later in life, Beethoven's brother dies, and he has a custody battle over his nephew with his nephew's mom. Would that be, like, his, his sister? sister-in-law? Okay, sister-in-law. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I could have made that more clear. But anyway, in this movie, they decide that she's his immortal beloved, which is not the case, because they didn't like each other, because they were fighting for custody. Of his nephew? Of his nephew. Okay. Is that, so she's not even one of the five? Oh, gosh, That no. you mentioned. Okay. Absolutely not. Why were they fighting over... So why was he trying to get custody of his nephew? Uh, well, I mean, he just, like, really loved his nephew, and he thought that he could give him a better life. Was his, like, brother dead or something? Yes. Oh, okay. I just said that, but Sorry. it's okay. I, was, I think I was trying to figure out the whole nephew-mother thing. Okay. Okay. Yes. So, anyway, the movie exists. It's not right in any way. And, I mean, like, we don't have any definitive proof that any of these five women we're going to talk about was actually his immortal beloved, but, like, this movie is definitely wrong. We can definitively say that. Yeah, but it's got Gary Ullman. Yeah, I mean, check check it out if you want to, but Rotten Tomatoes seems a little dubious on whether or not it's good. (laughs) Okay, so, we have... All right, well, I guess, Seth, are you ready to meet your five contenders? I am ready. This is, like, the... What is it? Dating game? Yeah, I guess. (laughs) So, um, our first contender is Amelie Siebold. She was a German soprano and described as, like, very beautiful with dark hair and eyes and a comely figure. Ooh. Yes, comely. So she and Beethoven met in Teplitz in 1811. So when he's writing his immortal beloved letter, he's in the same place, but it's 1812. Um, Okay. He was captivated by her voice and by her looks, her comely figure. I'm just going to say comely figure as many times as I can. (laughs) 
Um, so she was also in Tublets in the summer of 1812. So there's already like some evidence there because um, whoever he met. Oh, he had just talked. He to had them. just talked to them like right. in this town. Um, somebody overheard Beethoven say to his father, like later on, like five years down the road, um, five years ago, he had made the acquaintance of a person, a union with whom he would have considered the greatest happiness of his life. It was not to be thought of almost an impossibility, a chimera. Nevertheless, it is now as on the first day, this harmony he had not yet discovered. It had never reached a declaration, but he could not get it out of his mind. And he was saying that about Amelie Seabold. But I thought they hadn't met. They'd only met the year before. Well, well, yes, but he's saying this like later on in life. Oh, okay. Sorry. Five years later. I'm tracking now. <laughs> um, and then in Beethoven's diary in 1812, he writes, in this way with A, everything goes to ruin. So this is after he wrote the Immortal Beloved letter. So okay. it's like this relationship is dead. Mm. Um, the initial is a little smudgy, but they think it's an A, uh, okay. which stands for Amelie. Gotcha. I thought it was going to be, we don't know the rest of the name, but it's the A that's smudgy. It's the A that's smudgy. Okay. <laughs> but we, th- we think it's an A. Um, he wrote her a series of notes in September of 1812, and it was July of 1812 that he wrote his immortal beloved letter. Um, however, those letters seem to maybe be more like friendship letters rather than like, I am passionate about you letters. Gotcha. Maybe he's Which just trying I'm, to play it cool. Well, exactly. And I mean, at the end of his letter, his immortal beloved letter, like, he's already discounted this relationship as not going to happen. Right. So maybe he's just trying to move on and, like, still conduct a relationship with her, but a relationship as friends rather than as lovers. Okay. So that's our first contestant? That's our first contestant. Amelie, <laughs> Amelie the comely su- German soprano. Yes, comely. Um, our next contender is Julie um, Giacchiardi. Um, she's an Austrian count- countess, and she also was known for her beauty, um, kind of like throughout high society of the time. Was she ever described as comely? I did not read that, but I would mm. imagine that she probably also was comely. <laughs> um, so she met Beethoven when she started taking piano lessons from him when she was 16 in 1800. So when was he born again? He was born in 1770. Okay. So <laughs> I, it's a different time. I understand. It's a different time. I was just trying to He's line up. Quite. I well. I mean, not that much older than her. I mean, he was thirty. She was sixteen. <laughs> that was pretty normal. I feel like for that age. Yeah, yeah. But he almost immediately fell in love with her, and she with him. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. He wrote to a friend. My life is once again more, a little more pleasant. I'm out and about again among people. You can hardly believe how desolate, how sad my life has been since these last two years. This change was caused by a sweet, enchanting girl who loves me and whom I love. After two years, I am again enjoying some moments of bliss, and it is the first time that I feel that marriage could make me happy. But unfortunately, she is not of my station. Why don't they just ever say the names of the people they're talking about? I mean, probably because if the like anyone saw her name in a letter where Beethoven was talking about this, she probably would have been ruined. Oh, uh, I guess that's true. Yeah. Um. So she ended up marrying a count, but supposedly even after her marriage, Beethoven was still in love with her. Mm. So some evidence that this could be her. Mm-hmm. Um, the Moonlight Sonata is dedicated to her, which... Um, I'm not going to play any of because I don't have enough octaves on my little baby keyboard. Um, but you should look it up. It's very famous. You'd probably recognize it. And 
Beethoven also told his assistant, Anton Schindler, that she had been a great love. Mm. And then... Schindler's back. Yeah. Schindler actually names her as the Immortal Beloved in his biography of Beethoven. Wow. Yeah. So, like, there's strong evidence for Julie to be the Immortal Beloved. Is there, like, did he have, like, evidence in his biography, or was he just like, it's totally Julie? Well, we're we're going to get to that. Okay, sorry. So, even though he dedicated the Moonlight Sonata to her, it's likely less about love and more about the fact that her family had a really nice piano, and he was trying out new techniques on it, and, like, had figured out the Moonlight Sonata on this piano. Um, she so, all- he dedicated it to her piano and not to her. I, I mean, yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> um, she... Julie disappears from his letters several years before 1812. Okay. So he stops writing to her and stops writing about her gotcha. before the Immortal Beloved letter. Um, and then in Beethoven's conversation books, which are the books he would carry around to write in with people so he could understand them because he was oh, deaf. Oh, makes sense. Um, he mentions in them that later in life, after she was married, she threw herself at him and he was disgusted by it because she was married. And mm. he didn't want to like break that sacred bond. What a cool guy. Yeah. <laughs> um and then after Schindler's biography of Beethoven came out, Therese Brunswick, who was Julie's cousin, um, said that it was a hoax that Schindler named her as the immortal beloved. So she cast some doubt on that. Okay. What? I was just going to say hoax as in he's lying. Yes, definitely. Okay. As in he's lying. As in like, there's no basis for this. Okay. So that leads us to Therese Brunswick, who oh. is our next contender. She was jealous. Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. So Therese Brunswick is a countess and she's a member of the hungarian royalty she's actually she was the goddaughter of the empress of austria at the time wow. so like she was very high society yeah super big deal yes she was a really good pianist um she was also really really smart and knew five languages impressive um i do like i don't think personally that she's really a contender for the immortal beloved but i think she's a really cool person which is why i wanted to talk about her <laughs> So after her father's death, she actually vowed never to marry. Um, and she also had a slight physical defect, probably scoliosis. Hmm. She had like a bend in her back that made her not that attractive. You said her father's death? Yeah, after her father's death, she it's a weird said no, she was never going to marry. It's a weird thing to yeah, I don't know claim after Who knows? your father dying. Um, but anyway, one of the really cool things about her is that in her 40s, she started teaching and she founded the entire Hungarian kindergarten system. Wow. Yeah. So, like, she's a cool, cool lady. That is super cool. Yeah. She also wrote a lot of diaries that will come into play later. Okay. Um, so, she met Beethoven in 1799 as his student and he was really taken with her and with her sister. And instead of teaching them the hour per day that their parents hired him for he ended up teaching them about four hours per day wow so he was like super taken and they were both very talented mm-hmm. so they were therese and beethoven were very good friends throughout like their whole life and one of therese's students one of her little kindergarten students um that she kept in touch with wrote later in a memoir saying that therese had a secret engagement with beethoven so therese and beethoven were very good friends um, throughout their lives and one of Teresa's students that like 
she had developed a relationship with Mm -hmm. um, and kept in contact with, ended up writing in her memoir that Therese had had a secret engagement with Beethoven. That's interesting. Yes, it is interesting. Um, he also dedicated a piano sonata to her. But, I mean, that's not, like, super huge evidence because he dedicated music to patrons and to friends, yeah. like, pretty much all the time. What's, like, the point even of a secret engagement? Because, like, I'm assuming, from what we were talking about before, like, they could never actually get married. It was just, like, the whole, like, dedication of love to each other until they actually get married, I guess? I mean, probably. And maybe it would, like, make her feel a little less guilty about if they were doing anything physical. Oh, that's true. (laughs) And, I mean, like, then if it came to light, she could be like, but we're engaged. Yeah. Even though it's a secret. Um... She was thought to be a spiritual partner to Beethoven, but his immortal beloved letter is more about the physical aspects of the relationship. Okay. I mean, not like explicitly so, but I mean, the language in the time. Wanting to be close. Yes. Would have been like, oh, this is physical. Yeah, I can see that. So we don't really think that Therese is the immortal beloved. Okay. But she's an interesting person and like being the cousin of Julie. Mm-hmm. And she's actually the sister of one of the last people I'll talk about. I was actually about to ask yeah. about the sister, though. Yeah. Well, before we get into that, <laughs> okay. um, our fourth contestant is Anthony Tony um, Brentano. Um, I feel like she, this woman, Tony, is one of the stronger candidates. Okay. Um, she was the daughter of an Austrian diplomat and art collector. Like, very, very wealthy family. When Mm. they were in Vienna at their Vienna house, it was a mansion with, like, 40-plus rooms. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I guess, like, class-wise, though, she's not as high as some of the other ones. Yeah, true. But, I mean, to a certain extent, if you don't have the title, like, if you have enough money, then you're fine. Right. I guess I was just saying from the whole, like, potential for, like, actual love to happen. Is that, like, more doable? Or is, like... Probably not because her dad was so rich. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And, like, she could expect to marry up and probably marry into a title. That makes sense. So she herself was very involved in the arts as a patron and as a collector. Mm. Um, she met Beethoven in 1810, and she's the only candidate to meet him when she was already married. Mm. Yeah. So, like, all the other contestants, <laughs> contestants, <laughs> um... I like the game show. Yeah. So all the other ones, Beethoven met them as like young ingenues as his piano students. Right. Um, was Emily one? I thought she was just a singer he met. Emily? Oh, I guess, yeah, she was a singer. Okay. But the rest of them <laughs> were piano students of his. Um, but Tony quickly grew close with Beethoven. And when her father died, she became extremely depressed. And Beethoven would come to her house and play her music to try to cheer her up. So did they meet basically because she became a patron of him? Um, I'm not. Or she never actually a patron of him. I mean, I would say she probably was in the way where like she would tell people about him and like have him over for dinner and like. Gotcha. I think she took lessons from him too, but um, I'm not entirely sure that she was like one of his main patrons. Okay. Um, so some evidence for her being the immortal beloved, she was in Prague in July of 1812 and Beethoven went through Prague and stopped there for a couple of nights before going to Teplitz, Okay. where he wrote his letter. And Beethoven actually stayed with her and her family in Carlsbad that August. Hmm. Um, and Carlsbad is actually the name of the town that the K stood for in his letter that I was looking for earlier. Gotcha. Um, he dedicated Andi Geliebte to her. 
which is a song titled To the Beloved, mm. um, in late 1812. So after he wrote the immortal Beloved letter. He then dedicated the song. Yes. Mm. And this is possibly the biggest evidence, is a picture of her was found in the same drawer in his desk as the letter. Oh, wow. Yeah. And... A little bit more about the drawer in this desk <laughs> is it was a hidden drawer. It was a hidden drawer? Yes. And so it was her picture, this letter, some money, and then Beethoven's Heiligenstadt Testament, which is um, it's a letter where he writes to his brothers about going deaf and wanting to kill himself. Oh. We'll probably do an episode on that at some point just because it's really interesting. And you just love talking about Beethoven. Yeah, I do. Just, <laughs> oh, it is the highlight of my life. Um, not really, but he is important. So yeah. we should talk about him. But anyway, a picture of her was found in this drawer, wow. this hidden drawer. Um, she really, like, loved Beethoven and described him as a greater human being than an artist. Which, considering hmm. Beethoven was not known for his personality um, <laughs> and was known for his art, that's kind of a big deal. She was willing to look past a lot of the flaws. Yeah. And then, more evidence. She had a baby eight months after the Immortal Beloved letter was written. Oh, man. Yeah. So, some scholars have speculated that this is Beethoven's son. This baby specifically was very mentally and physically. Um, like handicapped mm. and beethoven he died young and beethoven was really sad but from the separation from his son and from his son's death that he wrote his miso solemnus which is like the solemn mass um, so you said like he was sad about the death of his son we're assuming uh, assuming his it's his son right okay and they're kind of like scholars are saying that beethoven was assuming it was his son too Oh, okay. And so he wrote this piece for him. Gotcha. Just like, I guess they're just, like he never, I'm assuming he never officially dedicated it to the boy oh, died. Oh, no. They're just assuming because no. the timing of the. Yes. Okay. Um, so some evidence for why she probably is not the immortal beloved is that her husband and children were with her the whole summer. She was actually happily married. Like she loved her husband and she liked her life. And her husband was also Beethoven's friend. And scholars think that Beethoven was too honorable of a person to conduct an affair with one of his close friend's wives. I mean, considering he, like, fell out of love with the woman because she threw herself at him when yeah. she was married. Mm-hmm. I could see that being true. Yes. Um, I guess for, like, a lot of the claims, like, she was happily married and stuff, Do all have all these people also, I guess they have their own journals that we found, and that's kind oh, of the yeah. evidence for that. And I mean, just, like, she she had a journal, or, like, she would write letters to her sister, or... Um, I mean, correspondence was a big, like, fact-finding sort of yeah. mission. And also, I mean, she was ridiculously wealthy. And so... People kept tabs on her. Yeah, and she went out into high society with her husband, and, like, people saw that they were happy. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, okay. Which brings us to our last candidate. Josephine Peppy is her nickname. <laughs> Brunswick. So this is Teresa's sister and Julie's other cousin. Okay. So, I mean, kind of weird that three out of Beethoven's Immortal Beloved candidates are, are related. related. <laughs> um, so, also Hungarian nobility. Her sister, Therese, was the one who was the goddaughter of the Empress of Austria. Yeah. So, like, probably the most high society of all of them. But she was not also a goddaughter? Or... No, I don't. I mean, I didn't see anything that said that. Okay. She could have been. But, I mean, 
I don't think you tend generally like have the same godmother to all of your children. That's fair. I just wasn't sure if she had like some other connection to no. that high of society or not. No, not really. Okay. Was she the other sister that you mentioned before? Yes. Mm-hmm. Taking lessons? That also took lessons from Beethoven. And he was so taken with them, he would teach them for long periods of time. Um, so she met Beethoven also in 1799 when he was her and Teresa's piano teacher. Okay. And Beethoven fell in love with her pretty much immediately. Um, a few weeks after she met Beethoven and started taking lessons from him, her parents married her off to a man that was more than twice her age. And this man is actually, he's kind of interesting. Um, he was a wax-like artist. And owned a wax museum. And he actually made Mozart's death mask. Fascinating. Yeah. Do you know what death masks are? I do not know what death okay, masks are. Okay. So death masks are something that they would do on famous people when they died. And it like it's a wax mask of the person. So like Mozart has one. Beethoven has one. So like we know exactly what their faces look like. Yes. Which That's is so weird. kind of terrifying. Um. So doesn't it kind of go against the whole, like, high society marrying yes, artists and stuff? But um, even though this guy did wax work, he was also a count. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> the, the wax work was just the hobby on the side. I mean, kind <laughs> of. Like, he owned this wax museum. And I think, like, he – so he died a couple – like, five years later from pneumonia after they had had four children. And I was reading – They got busy. Yeah, they really did. And I was reading that Josephine had a nervous breakdown um, because of the stress of caring for her family, managing the husband's waxing museum, and also dealing with some previously unknown debts. So I have a feeling that, like, this guy, this count, he ended up having to, like, get into some sort of work because his family had, like, lost his, its fortune or something. Gotcha. And he had debts. So, as soon as Josephine was widowed, Beethoven pursued her. Um, <laughs> Did he, not wait long. He, yeah, I mean, not really. But he sent her 15 love letters between 1804 and 1809. So, they met in 1799. She got married in 1799. Her husband died five years later so in 1804. 1804. And Beethoven starts sending her love letters in 1804. Jeez. Yeah. So, he gets on it. Um, they were very impassioned letters with similar language to the immortal beloved letter like in them he calls her my angel several times um he ended up spending time with josephine and therese and their brother um at their hungarian mansion in the summer of 1806 so after her husband died um they like all hung out at this hungarian mansion together Mm. and she was still pretty fragile from this emotional breakdown that she had from all of the stress mm-hmm. and he kind of overwhelmed her with his passion by 1807 josephine was no longer letting him in her house on the advice of her younger sister which is a third sister not oh, okay. um and josephine wrote to him do not tear my heart apart do not try to persuade me further i love you inexpressibly as one gentle soul does another are you not capable of this covenant I am not receptive to other forms of love for the present. So she's saying, I don't want to have sex with you, Beethoven, right now. Okay. For the present. For the present. Maybe in the future. Yeah, maybe. She went on to say, even before I knew you, your music made me enthusiastic for you. The goodness of your character, your affection increased it. 
This preference you granted me, the pleasure of your acquaintance, would have been the finest jewel of my life if you could have loved me less sensually. That I cannot satisfy this sensual love makes you angry with me, but I would have had to violate holy bonds if I gave heed to your longings. So she's saying, we're not married, Mm. so it would be bad for us to have sex, even though you want us to have sex. Gotcha. Definitely sounds like that letter may have been to her. Yeah. Um, so he, she, like, she, I think was in love with him. Sounds like it. And he, with her, but the big thing was she didn't want to potentially lose custody of the Count's kids by marrying a commoner. Um. So there was still this barrier between her and Beethoven. Mm -hmm. So not very long after this, she ended up having a kid out of wedlock with one of her um, kid's tutors and then ended up marrying that tutor because she had a kid with him and he was a commoner. Um, but their marriage sucked and they quickly split. Um, and her sister Therese wrote in her journal that Josephine would have been better off with Beethoven. Agreed. Yeah. So this dude, this commoner, um, Baron Christoph von Stackelberg. He was a baron? Yeah, I know. Like, that was something that confused me because, like, he was a tutor. Maybe his name was Baron and his parents were just hoping. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> um, but he had a lot of debt. And in 1812, um, Napoleon defeated Austria and the currency was devalued to a fifth of what it was. And so they were already in debt. And then massively more in debt, relatively. Became much, much more poor. So Josephine went to Prague to consult with advisors and to talk to the emperor himself. Because, I mean, their family had that connection because of Therese being the empress's goddaughter. All that stuff. Um. So, when she went to Prague was the summer of 1812, when Beethoven was was also also in Prague. Um, And actually, we know that Beethoven unexpectedly canceled a meeting the night that he was in Prague, potentially to, like, meet up with someone. Mm. Potentially Josephine, because she was also in Prague. (laughs) Um, Her diary goes silent in the summer of 1812, and we know that she hadn't been sleeping with Stackelberg her current husband for like quite some time mm. um so that thing that beethoven wrote in his diary in 1812 about amelie the singer mm-hmm. the whole like in this way with a everything goes to ruin yeah. but the a was smudgy people also think that the smudgy a could actually have been an st which stands for stackelberg oh. and so that actually kind of like makes more sense like because of Stackelberg, he can't marry the love of his life. And so, in this way, everything with Stackelberg goes to ruin. I can see that. And so they think that that actually may have been about um, Josephine instead. Um, Josephine's brother Franz may actually have told Schindler about Julie, which is the cousin mm-hmm. that Schindler wrote in his biography of Beethoven that yeah. was the immortal beloved. To throw him off the trail of Josephine. Is that just like a guess or is there any like kind of thing backing that up? I mean, there's like, there's some like mentions and letters and stuff. Okay. But so um, Schindler saying that about Julie in his biography could have been specifically to like keep Josephine out of the biography. Interesting. And then this is kind of, this is like the big thing. And again, there's no evidence of this. But nine months after the beloved letter. 
um, Josephine gives birth to a daughter who some theorize was Beethoven's. Um, on April 9th, 1813, Monona, which is her daughter, and the name has significance because it's after a character in a book who is the daughter of a musician. Just want to leave some obvious hints laying around. Yeah, and so she was born April 9th of 1813. Photos of her look very similar to Beethoven. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I'll show you some at some point. But it's just like, it's the, the similarity is like very striking. Wow. Monona never married, was a music teacher. Um, Virtuoso at the piano? I'm, maybe. I don't know for sure. <laughs> but in one of Beethoven's conversation books, someone wrote, you talk so much about the woman that her husband is going to suspect that the child among his children that has musical talent is your child. That seems pretty, pretty pointed. <laughs> it does. It does. Um, now, even though their marriage was terrible, Stackelberg would never have let Josephine leave. Mm. And... Actually, when Monona was 18 months, Stackelberg brought police to Josephine's house and forcibly abducted Monona and his other two daughters and just, like, took them. Wow. So they weren't living together? No. Um, Josephine then had another affair with another of her son's tutors. Jeez. And had another illegitimate baby that um, that tutor then abducted. So, like, Josephine is she's... not living her best life right now. Yeah. Also sounds, like, very sexually frustrated. And, like, if she's having these out-of-wedlock affairs with all of these other people, then, like, it's probably likely that she also had sex with Beethoven, yeah. I feel like. Even though she played the whole, we can't do this. Yeah, exactly. Um, She maintained contact with Beethoven, and they actually met in Baden in 1816. She had, like, specifically requested a passport to go to a German spa town, but never showed up hmm. um, and went to Baden instead. Suspicious. And Beethoven's nephew saw Beethoven walking around with a mysterious woman. And then in Beethoven's diary in August of 1816, read, um, he wrote, like, not to Piermont, but with P, which could stand for Peppy, which is Josephine's nickname, nickname. instead, um, discuss the best way to arrange it. So he's like, how am I going to meet up with her? Right. Um, Josephine died of consumption in 1821 at the age of 42. What is consumption? Like a wasting disease. Oh, okay. It was a big deal in that era. In that era, yeah. Like um, La Boheme, which is what rent is based off of. Okay. Um, like the main character dies of consumption. Huh. And is, like, hacking up a lung and wasting away okay. as she's on stage thinking about it. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but scholars consider that Josephine is, like, most likely, like, the one. Like, she's the immortal beloved. Yeah. And the Beethoven house in Bonn, um, which is where Beethoven is from, and, like, the main Beethoven museum, um, accepts her as being the immortal beloved. Um. One musicologist, too, says that there's a recurring motif in Beethoven's music that mirrors the rhythm of Josephine's name, which is, like, it's a dotted eighth, sixteenth rhythm. So, like, bum, bum, bum. Oh, Josephine. Yeah, Josephine. Yeah, and um, 
I mean, there are a bunch of his pieces that have that included in it, but the three big ones are three late piano sonatas that he wrote, which everyone describes as requiems, and they were written the year of her death. Uh. So, pretty likely, I feel like, that Josephine yeah. is the immortal beloved. Seems like there's a lot of signs that point that yeah. way. Yeah, I was going to ask Seth, who do you think it is? <laughs> but I mean, like... It seems obvious. Yeah, and I mean, even just like how I laid it out, but... Like, the most information was about her, which yeah. I think is also because she's most likely it. But really quick, while we're on the air, I'm going to show you a picture of her daughter and see if you think that she looks like Beethoven. Oh, where's the picture? Yeah, there it is. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, they look very similar. There's quite a bit of similarity. And I mean, like, she was not a gorgeous woman. No, but he's also... Which, well, he was not a gorgeous man. Yeah. And I mean, even, like, her later oh, yeah. portrait. Like, she looks his even more portrait. like him as she ages. Yeah. So, there could have been one of Beethoven's little children running around. Fascinating. Yeah. Um... So I guess do we do we care about this just because he's so famous now and it's like a mystery related to him, or is there like a tie to his music other than these guesses of his dedications? I mean, it's mostly just because he's famous and it's a mystery, gotcha. and it's like we want to know everything about Beethoven. Yeah. So there was actually also um, kind of this other mystery where there were all of these locks of hair popping up. That people were saying, oh, this is a lock of Beethoven's hair. And, I mean, it's just like Beethoven was huge during his time period, which yeah. was not true for all composers. Um, and he just continued to get more huge as time went on. Gotcha. And so we're just, like, fascinated by anything having to do with Beethoven. Yeah. And I guess especially, too, if the mystery starts with finding a hidden drawer in his desk with this letter and a picture. Yeah. It's kind of... Yeah. You don't know what's going on there. Um, although, I mean, like, that's so interesting because the picture is of Tony Brentano, not of Josephine. And so it's kind of like, why was her picture in the drawer if all of this evidence points towards Josephine? Right. I don't know. It's crazy. And it's also just like, it's kind of interesting to think on because he never married. Like, he, mm -hmm. we don't know that much about, like, his love life. Yeah. And so just the fact that, like, all of this passion in his music came from somewhere and like stemmed from possibly this love for this one woman is really romantic. Yeah. Is the close, I guess his nephew is that the closest thing to like a true son he ever had. Yeah. Or I guess child. Mm -hmm. Okay. He never gained custody of his nephew. Spoiler. Well, that's sad. It is sad. Beethoven was very sad. Sounds sad. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. That's Beethoven's Immortal Beloved. That's Beethoven's Immortal Beloved. I feel like a lot of these episodes are going to kind of be, like, very open-ended. <laughs> like, here is this, like, I don't know, urban legend or mystery that we just don't know the answer to. Yeah. But. Well, that's fun. Yeah, it's fun to speculate. Yeah. Um, I don't think we've decided yet what our 
next episode will be it will not be about beethoven it will not be about sure you heard that here first (laughs) you won't hear it anywhere else (laughs) but you heard it here first. yes (laughs) um yeah thanks for listening to our second episode of cleft notes yeah and as always reach out and tell me the factual errors that i make and any advice or comments that you have for future episodes yeah and um wherever you listen to it we'd appreciate a quick rating or like a review or anything would be really neat um yeah until next time yay